Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Koinonia Church Message Library. Our hope is that today's message encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We are confident that God's Word is living and active and is relevant for us today. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. At the end of our message uh, this morning, we're going to be receiving communion. So if you did not uh, grab the communion elements on your way in, the ushers in a moment are going to be walking down the aisles. Just put up your hand. Make sure you raise your hand. That way we won't have to interrupt things when we're ready for communion. So just keep your hand up until you receive those elements, and uh, then we can all celebrate together. Well, as Dave was saying, we are in a series on First Peter, and the theme of this series, the kind of the tagline, the summary of it, is in light of eternity. It's so tempting for us to live our lives based on today, based on this temporary world, based on the circumstances of this world. But what God wants us to do, as those who follow Jesus, is to keep our eyes on the fact that an eternity awaits us. The audience that uh, Peter is writing to are Christians who are being persecuted. They're living in a very difficult environment. They've been dispersed from their homes, scattered throughout the Roman provinces. They are suffering trials, tribulations, persecution, all kinds of mistreatment. That's what they're experiencing. And he's writing to them to encourage them in the middle of that. How many of you know that you would need some encouragement if that's what you were experiencing? Maybe some of you feel that you're experiencing some of those things right now and you need encouragement today. Well, let's open our hearts. Let's allow God to speak to us. Right before the passage that we're going to jump into, which is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 25, I want to go over a couple of verses that Pastor Nick shared last week that come right before this, because they're very important for setting up what we're about to hear. Peter is reminding these Christians who have been rejected by society of who they are in Christ of what their identity is. Listen to this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's not just the people that Peter is writing to. That is you and that is me. Do you believe that? Yeah? Are you sure? <laughs> Starting in the next verse, in verse 11, Peter now begins to unpack, in fact, throughout the rest of the book, what it looks like for us to live this new identity what it looks like for us to live as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special people. He's teaching us, practically speaking, how to live out our lives in such a way that we will bring praise to God. That's what he wants us to do. 
There are going to be four sections that we're going to walk through one at a time, and we're going to pull out some of the truths that are in them. There's so much in here, and I'm not going to get to unpack it all for you, but I'm going to pick out a few things that are going to help us, I believe. So, you ready? Yes. Okay, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that's those who don't know and serve God, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, these two verses set up everything that Peter is about to go into after them. He's urging or imploring these Christians not to live according to their own sinful desires. Did you know that Christians can still have sinful desires? No, it's just me. Oh, my word. (laughs) What am I going to do? He's speaking to Christians, right? Are we agreed? Okay. And he says that they are not to live their lives according to, they're to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against their souls. Can anybody besides me relate to that? Okay, that's good. Well, I mean, it's not good, but you know what I mean. At least I feel like I'm not alone. I, I appreciate that. He's calling on them to live out their new identity. This is what he's calling them to do. He's reminding them that they're foreigners and exiles, that they are temporary residents in this world. Did you know that this world is not your home? It's not your eternal home. It's just a temporary place that you are living in. We have an eternity ahead of us, and this this time and this life is so short. It's so short, but it's so significant to what our eternity and the eternity of those around us looks like. It matters so much. And because of their new identity, that's why he's urging them not to live according to their old way of living, that empty way of life that uh, Dave was mentioning before. And he describes this as a war. So it shouldn't surprise us that resisting sinful desires, self-centered desires, desires that are opposed to God, it shouldn't surprise us that that feels like a battle. Anybody besides me, does it feel like a battle for you sometimes? It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian if you experience the temptation to act according to sinful desires. And it doesn't mean you're not a Christian if it feels like a battle to resist those desires, but it matters that we do. And he explains to us why it matters. He says, live good lives among the pagans. Live good lives among those who don't know God. See, it matters because if we allow the sinful desires of the flesh to overcome us, we will become enslaved by them which is the very thing Jesus died to free us from. So Peter does not want us to go back into slavery. Do you want to go back into slavery to sin? I don't think so. So he doesn't want us to do it because of that. But also he says that he doesn't want us to live this way because we are to be a light to the world around us. Because our lives 
the good lives that we live, the lives that are lived in accordance with God's will and word, they, they proclaim and they declare the praises of God. They bring glory to God. And so he wants us to live this way because of that. See, in, in Peter's time, we have to remember that the church of Jesus Christ was very young, right? It had just begun. It was this new thing. To us, it's it's a 2,000-year-old thing. But back then, it was just years old. And the culture around them was suspicious of them because they lived so differently to them because they didn't worship the gods that they worshipped. And as a result of that, they wondered what they were up to. Was this, this sect, this religious group, were they trying to change the culture that the Romans enjoyed and wanted to live according to? Were they somehow trying to undermine what was happening in their culture, the values that they lived by? Does this sound familiar in any kind of way? See, we live in a culture that is very opposed to the ways of God as well. And if we're truly living as Christians, our lives are going to make people around us feel uncomfortable. Not because we're condemning them, not because we're shining a spotlight on them and telling them that they're sinners, but because our very lives are so different to the way that the culture around us lives that it makes them uncomfortable. It should do. Because we're living according to different values, the values of the kingdom of heaven, the values of God. And so what Peter wants them to do is even though they're, they're, um, the world around them is suspicious of them, even though they wonder what their ulterior motives are, and they actually accuse them of doing evil, did you know that you and I can live according to God's word and be accused of doing evil today? That's what it was like back then too. But we should also live such good lives that even though we get accused at times, it should be evidence of who God is in our lives because we're living good lives in the world around us. He wants us to be examples to the world around us. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the way that Peter is calling his audience to live, and that's the way God wants us to live. Now he's going to get into some practical ways in which the, the believers of this time can live good lives and, good de- and do good deeds to bring glory to God. Are you ready? It's going to get uncomfortable. I'm just warning you. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as, supreme, as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For or because it is God's will that by doing good in this way that he's just described, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Those rumors that are going around about Christians and their intentions, your good deeds should silence them. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. 
live as God's slaves. Ooh, a little uncomfortable. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Wow, I got to take a drink. Well, he kicks it off with a big word, doesn't he? Submit. That, that's not a word that we get excited about in Canada. <laughs> Anybody? No. Especially when we are the ones being told to do the submitting. Doesn't that feel uncomfortable? Doesn't that go against the grain? Man, it does. He says, submit yourselves. The first thing I want you to see is that this is not supposed to be something that is imposed on us. He says, submit yourselves. You and I are the ones who are to choose to submit. And notice why. It's for the Lord's sake. It's for the sake of the gospel that we are to submit ourselves. It's for the glory of God. It's so that the gospel can be seen, so that the goodness of God can be seen. And notice who they're to submit to, who we are to submit ourselves to, every human authority. So let me ask this question. Maybe you know, who is the authority that he's referring to? Did you catch the word? Begins with an E. The emperor. Do you know who this emperor was at this time? He was not a Christian. This was Nero. Nero was the emperor at the time. And in that culture, the emperor was considered divine. The Caesar was considered divine. This was a cruel and godless man. He ruled between 54 and 68 AD, and he murdered his mother and his wife. And when Rome burned, he accused the Christians of being responsible, and he crucified some of them, and he burned them alive. And ultimately, he killed Peter. Submit yourselves for the sake of the Lord to the emperor. Does, is, that, is that confusing to you? It's confusing, isn't it? And, and Peter is not the only one who speaks of this. You may remember in Romans 13, verse 1, that Paul says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established or put in place by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. In fact, Paul, in that passage in Romans 13, three times calls the governing authorities God's servants. And this is consistent with the Old Testament as well, because Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, they're called God's servants as well. These were very ungodly people. Wow, this is so different for us, so difficult to understand. But what is Peter doing? He is trying to help these believers see. He wants us to see that the way we live in this world matters and that God has placed people in authority in this world and they are accountable to God. And if they misrepresent God's authority, he will take care of that. He will 
judge them appropriately because he is just. There are, there are church leaders who misrepresent God's authority, so why would it cause us to be surprised if people who don't know God would misrepresent his authority as well? Now, this authority that we're to submit to, it's not this um, total submission. We're not talking about absolute submission here. We are talking about submission for the Lord's sake. So this means that if governing authorities tell these people or us that we are to do something that is contrary to Scripture, then our allegiance needs to be to God first. And that means that we will need to disobey at times. But again, we do it for the Lord's sake. This is not us having bad attitudes and being rebellious and, and maligning and slandering those in authority. This is us respectfully choosing to obey God rather than people. Because sometimes we have to make a choice. Peter knew what this was like. He had to make the choice too. You may remember, those of you who have read the book of Acts, that in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John heal a lame man outside of the temple gate. And they begin to preach to the people. And the religious leaders who are in authority in a religious sense, they heard them and they told them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And do you know what they did? They said to them, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. See, they chose to disobey the religious leaders of the day because Jesus had given them a command to preach, and that was their higher authority. See, we have to be careful that the ungodly behavior of people in authority does not cause us to justify our own ungodly response to them. Do you hear that? Because we can easily slip into this. If a, a, a religious leader or a political leader, governmental leader, a parent, it doesn't matter who the person is, we are called to honor them because that's what they were told to do with Nero, was to honor him. Recognize that he is a man made in the image of God, and he has value in God's eyes. And even though he is completely misrepresenting God, he needs to be respected just like anybody else. And we need to make sure that when we are called to disobey somebody who is misrepresenting God because God has called us to a higher law, that we do so with respect, with honor, and that we don't use their ungodly behavior as a justification for us to behave in an unchrist-like way in response to them. And in fact, this is what happened with Peter. They continued to preach. And what happened was, the next chapter, the religious leaders had them flogged, and they ordered them once again not to speak in the name of Jesus. And the apostles, it says in chapter 5, verse 41, left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. That's the name of Jesus. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, 
they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm thankful that we live, we don't live under a totalitarian regime like Nero's. I'm glad we don't. We live in a democracy, and regardless of what we think of our governing leaders, we have an opportunity as believers, first of all, to pray. That's our first response if we don't like what's happening around us, is to pray for our leaders. We are called to, we're commanded to pray for those in authority, and we have practical things we can do. So it's not like we just pray and do nothing else. We can petition our MP. We can, we can get into politics ourselves. We can seek to become elected officials so that we can make a difference. But regardless, if ever we need to disobey those in authority, we're called to do so with the heart of Jesus Christ. And we're going to find out more about that later on. Because it's God's will that by submitting and doing good, we would silence the accusations of those around us. So how are we to do this? How are we to submit? First of all, we're to submit as free people. (laughs) We're to submit as free people. We have been set free by Jesus Christ, but we have not been set free to do whatever we want. We have been set free by Jesus Christ to do the will of God, to do good works. That's what we've been set free to do. That's what it says in, verses, in verse 16. And we have been set free not to do our own will, but to do the will of God as his slave, as his servant. More popular language. <laughs> in other words, what is a servant called to do? They are called to do the will of, the one, of their master. Is Jesus your master? Yeah, if Jesus is our master, then we are called to live out our lives doing his will, not our own will. That's what God wants us to do. And this is really at the heart of this whole passage. It's our relationship to Jesus Christ. Our relationship, your relationship, my relationship with Jesus Christ determines how we live in this world. We don't live for ourselves We live for his glory and for the glory of his gospel. Whatever that means, that's what we're to do. God doesn't treat us like an earthly slave master, and that's where we're going next. He doesn't force us to do anything. See, if you and I understand that Jesus Christ has released us, redeemed us from slavery to sin, and set us free from the power and penalty of sin, it causes us to want to do his will. He doesn't force anybody to do his will. So then Peter concludes with four commands. He says, honor all people, love fellow believers, fear God, and honor the emperor, even if they need to be disobeyed. I added that. (laughs) Because sometimes human authorities do. And we are to fear God, not people. We are to honor God above any other person. God is supreme, not any um, religious leader, not any political leader. And now, now Peter moves to a very specific situation. And 
he's talking to a very specific group of society in his culture and in his day. Listen to verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. We've got to take a look at, for a moment at what he's talking about, because slavery is something very foreign to us in our day and age, and I'm thankful for that. It's not that it doesn't happen anywhere in the world. There are different kinds of slavery, but this was a very specific situation. It was, this kind of slavery was central to the culture and economy of Peter's day. In fact, about one in four of the people he was addressing would have been slaves. Think about that. 25% of the people he's addressing would have been slaves. And he's, he's speaking specifically to household slaves. And they were often better off economically and socially than even free poor people at the time. They often were more educated than the masters who owned them. And it was very different to more modern-day slavery in uh, America and elsewhere in the world because this was not based on race. You became a slave because you were captured in war. You became a slave because you were born into it because your parents were captured. Or some people even sold themselves into slavery because they were very poor and this was one of the ways that they could make sure they could survive, survive economic hardship. And some of them were doctors, teachers, managers, musicians. But this doesn't mean that they were treated well. Some of them were, but some of them were treated very poorly. And some of them, as you can hear from the passage, were beaten. And some of them were even killed because the slave owner, the master, had the right to kill them if they chose to. This is not a good situation. It doesn't matter what you compare it to. This is not good, and this is not God's will either. And for us, it's difficult because we think to ourselves, why is Peter not saying something about how bad this is? Why is he not criticizing this institution of slavery? Why is he not advocating for the overthrow of slavery? Well, you have to understand that it was complete. They would have been killed. It would have been the end of the story. And another factor is that Peter and the other New Testament writers didn't believe that the culture around them would be transformed by doing something like having slaves released. He was focusing on the heart of people. Because when people's hearts get changed, guess what else gets changed? The culture around us gets changed. And the church can then become an, a, an influence for good in the culture, which is what he's talking about. He's concerned, and the other New Testament writers are concerned about individuals' relationships with God. And so he is teaching these slaves how to glorify God in the current situation in which they find themselves. 
And the very fact that he addresses them and says to them essentially that they are able to influence their masters by the way they live and impact the world around them and the households in which they serve by the way they live is completely countercultural because that's not the way they were treated. They were treated like property and like their only job was to obey, not to have influence and transform the people around them. So Peter is acting in a very different way to what they're used to. And also it's important that we understand that nowhere in the New Testament does, does the New Testament commend slavery as a good thing and it's not something that God instituted. It's something humans in, instituted. And Peter is explaining how in the middle of this difficult situation they can still glorify God. And this isn't to say that, you know, we as Christians should have nothing to do with transforming the culture around us. We still can do that. We can still, as I said, we can petition, we can do all kinds of things, and it's not wrong to do those things. But our priority, like Peter's, has to be addressing the hearts of people, because that's where people get changed, is through a transformed heart. So Peter knows that these slaves in particular are vulnerable because they would be expected to do what their masters told them, including worshiping other gods. And so you can imagine if these slaves were to refuse to worship other gods along with their masters, what's going to happen to them? They're going to suffer as a result. But what Peter wants them to do is recognize that God's authority is higher than their master's authority. And they need to be willing in the middle of disobeying their masters in order to obey God to suffer as a result of that. And sometimes that's what's going to happen in our lives as well. Not because we're slaves, but because in our cultural context, if we're an employee of somebody who, who is, is asking us to do things contrary to God, maybe you've experienced that, I have, not here, <laughs> but sometimes you have to make a difficult choice. I remember I was asked one time by an employer to, to um, basically lie in, in uh, something I was creating and change dimensions, and they asked me to do this, and I had to say no, and I did. But I didn't know what was going to happen as a result. Was I going to lose my job? What was going to happen? Sometimes we have to be ready as believers to accept that if we go against the cultural norms of our day, if we go against the authority structures of our day for the glory of God, with respect and honor, that we will suffer as a result of that. Could be rejection, could be all kinds of things. Maybe some of you have experienced this in your life. But what Peter is saying to them is this, Jesus knows what that's like. Jesus knows what it is like to choose to obey his Father and risk and experience unjust suffering as a result. Jesus is our example because Jesus is called a suffering servant. He could relate to these slaves. He could relate to these Christians 
who were suffering for doing what was right, suffering for obeying God. And this is where he moves to next in verse 21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This passage is right at the center of this gospel, or of this letter, I should say. And it's right, the truths in it are right at the heart of what Peter is teaching these believers to do. See, Jesus said to his disciples, follow me, didn't he? But his life took him along a path that involved suffering in order to do the will of his father. In obeying his father, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He experienced suffering, and it shouldn't surprise us that if we truly follow Jesus, if he is our Lord, then we also will at times experience unjust suffering, not because we've been um, dishonest, not because we've been rebellious, not because we've done wrong, but simply because we've chosen to put God's will and obeying him above everything else. Jesus was a suffering servant. He wasn't just a son. He wasn't just God's son. He was a suffering servant. You and I are not just God's children, but we are also called, if necessary, to suffer for doing the will of God. At times, that may be what is required. That's what Jesus was focused on above everything else, was doing God's will. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 4? My food is to do what? The will of the Father who sent me and finish his work. And you remember what he said in Gethsemane? Not my will, but yours be done. And then when he prayed, he prayed to God in John 17 in the garden, and he says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me. And then on the cross, he said what? It is finished. See, Jesus was completely committed to doing the will of his Father. That's what he lived for, and that is what he died for. And if we are followers of Jesus, Peter is saying this is what we're called to. We are called to live for the will of God, not for our own will. And if necessary, we are called to suffer for doing his will. That's a hard word, isn't it? It's hard for me. I don't like suffering. I don't like being treated unfairly or unjustly. But notice how Jesus responds to the unjust suffering he experiences. He's completely without sin. He is, there's no deceit in his mouth. That's what it says in this passage. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who, ju who judges justly. 
See, what Peter wants these Christians and wants us to know is this, that if we do end up suffering unjustly as a result of our allegiance to Jesus, that God sees it and God is ultimately a just judge. He will take care of you. And in this life, you may not see his justice. It's possible. There are people all around this world today, Christians all around this world today, who are suffering as a result of their faith, who do not see justice in this life. But what God wants us to know is that he is a just judge, and that one day, even if you do not experience a reward for your suffering in this life, you will experience God's reward in the life to come, which is the whole theme of this passage. What are you and I living for? Are we living for this world? Are we living for today, or are we living for eternity? We are to live in light of eternity. That's what Peter is encouraging us to do. Jesus suffered these things for you and I. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might not die in our sins, but we might die to sin and live for righteousness, live for the will of God. That's why Jesus suffered. See, Peter wants these people who are temporary residents in their culture, who belong to God, to have as their priority glorifying God in the way they live. They're not to live for themselves. You and I are not to live for ourselves. We are to live for the good and the glory of God and his gospel. That is our priority. That's what he wants us to do. As followers of Christ, we're to live to glorify God. What does this mean? Four things that he pointed out to us. Resisting sin and living according to the values of heaven rather than our culture. So the question is, are you and I, are we living according to the values of our culture or are we living according to the values and priorities of heaven? That's a good question. It's a good question for me to ask myself. What do we prioritize? The values of heaven or our culture? We are to glorify God by honoring and willingly submitting to human authorities, but being willing at the same time to disobey if necessary. So are you willing? Am I willing to do that? How are you doing with honoring and submitting to human authority? So often, if you go on social media, you'll see that there's no difference between how we as Christians and how the world around us talks about human authorities. There should be a difference. We should sound different. That doesn't mean we can't oppose the way they um, the values of, of political parties or any of that stuff, it doesn't mean we can't be opposed to it and express it, but we need to do it with the spirit of Christ. We need to do it with the heart of God. We need to do it with honor and respect, not slander and maligning. That's what God wants us to do. Thirdly, we are to glorify God by living as servants of God who are completely devoted to doing God's will, just like Jesus. So the question is, are you and I, whose will are we devoted to? I mean, when it comes right down to it, whose will are you and I devoted to? Are we devoted to doing our will, 
or are we devoted to doing the will of God? What would it look like in your workplace, in your school, in your family, among people who don't know Jesus? What would it look like if you were fully devoted to doing God's will, no matter the cost? And lastly, in order to glorify God, these believers and us, we need to be willing to suffer unjustly if necessary, just like Jesus did in our commitment to obey God. Our commitment to obeying God and doing God's will needs to be greater than our fear of experiencing unjust suffering, than our fear of being rejected or humiliated or punished. I told you, it's strong, isn't it? I encourage you to go back over this passage and read it again and, and pray, it, pray about it. Talk to God about it. Ask him how you can live this out in your life. I have been challenged by this passage in a big way because it's so easy for us as Christians to look more like the world around us than we do like Jesus. And we can end up buying into the values of our culture and looking just like it rather than looking like Jesus. So what makes us willing to live this way? And what makes it possible for us to live this way? It's this. It's the blood of Jesus. It's the, the body of Christ. You can go ahead and open your elements. We'll get all the noise out of the way. <laughs> Give you a moment to do that. What, what makes us have this kind of allegiance and faithfulness to God? There's no human reason to do this. It's because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood poured out for your sins, establishing a new covenant rescuing and redeeming you from slavery to sin, restoring your relationship with God. This bread is my body broken for you to restore your relationship, your broken relationship with God. This is why I choose to live this way, because of what Jesus has done for me, because Jesus Christ the Son of the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who holds all things together by the word of his power. He stepped into the brokenness of this world, into the brokenness of my world, into the brokenness of my life. And he said, I am willing to lay my life down for you. I will do whatever it takes to restore you, to forgive you, to redeem you. I will give my life for you. And what God calls us to do in return is to give our lives back to Him. Not because we're forced to, not because He manipulates us into it, but because when you and I truly have a revelation of what Jesus has done for us, it doesn't matter what we face in this world. We want to honor him 
To please him, yes, but to see other people in our world come to know Jesus. Because it says at the end of that, the passage that we were like sheep who had gone astray, each of us going our own way. But now we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. See, what Peter wants is for the believers he's talking to and for us to live the kind of lives that cause other people who have gone astray, who are far from God, to see our good works, to see our commitment to Christ, and to be compelled to turn from going astray themselves and to return to the shepherd and overseer of their souls. That's what he's all about in this passage. That's what this difficult stuff is all about. It almost sounds offensive to us in our North American 21st century society. But the truths in it, the truth at the heart of it, is that we are called to abandon our lives to Jesus Christ for his glory and to see other people come to know him. Do you hear that this morning? That's what he wants for us. Let's take a moment to pray and then we can eat and drink together. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, not only as your son, but as a suffering servant who was willing to do your will to rescue and redeem us. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins making us right with God. Thank you for allowing your body to be broken for us so that our broken relationship with the Father could be restored. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's eat and drink together. In the passage that Nick, uh, Pastor Nick shared last week. He talked about how Jesus was a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. I don't know how you feel after hearing this message, after reading this passage, but perhaps for you right now, you are stumbling over the teaching of Peter. Perhaps you feel a little bit offended at the words he used. I encourage you to turn to this passage, to read the whole book of 1 Peter prayerfully and ask Jesus, ask the Holy Spirit to help you see how it applies to your life. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit sink today's message into your heart to let it transform you and bring new life. If you want to learn more about Koinonia, you can go to kcf.life to get connected. Thank you for being a part of our community. If today's message encouraged you, we would love for you to rate it and review it and share it with a friend. We love you. Let's continue to build God's kingdom together.